even though it gets pretty breezy here, Chicago got the nickname the Windy City from its boisterous politicians who have a lot to say. Over the years, we've had many interesting folks run for political office, like ACT UP's drag queen performance artist Joan Jett Black, who ran for mayor of the Second City and then later tried to lick Bush in a run for the presidency. Following that great tradition, Chicago performance artist and drag queen Jezebel Agogo, now known as Jay Saxon, joins us today to talk about their foray into the race to become Chicago's next mayor as a progressive who wants to abolish the police. Well, what about abolishing bad contouring or shoes that don't match dresses? <laughs> you may remember Jay Saxon, whose first appearance 10 years ago on this show, Why I Became a Drag Queen, looked at the rising tide in favor of young people dressing up in drag to define and express themselves. Plus, a look into Beyonce and Kelsey's controversy and how past betrayals rob us of future better relationships. I'm Fausto Fernos. I'm Mark Fillion. And this is Feast of Fun. Our guest today was well-known a decade ago in Chicago's drag scene as Jezebel Agogo, whose first appearance on Feast of Fun was titled Why I Became a Drag Queen. Jezebel looked at the rising tide in favor of young people dressing up in drag to define and express themselves. Now, a decade later, Jezebel is back as Jay Saxon, the first genderqueer Bolivian American running for mayor of the Windy City, Chicago. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me back. Of course. Welcome, Mayor-elect, <laughs> or soon-to-be-elect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great to be here at a very different time in my life and a very different place of being, because back in the day, uh, I lived uh, on the south side on uh, Hyde Park, and now I lived on the street from you guys. I walked over here today. So uh, you're, it's nice you're, to be your neighbor. You're changing one area of theatrics from drag <laughs> to the political arena. Theater. I mean, it's the same thing. It's just a little less makeup. Yeah, and you work. You don't have to work for tips, right? <laughs> you work for uh, kickbacks and better shoes. <laughs> Got the shoes, darling. So, so Jay Saxon, uh, why are you running for mayor? Uh, that's very similar to you know Joan Jet Black. Yeah, they did a musical about her mm -hmm. back in the day and Chicago's no stranger to drag queens running for office. What makes you in 2022 want to do this? And are you for real? Is this a performance art piece? Yeah. Are you seriously taking on this challenge? I'm as serious as I can be about anything about this campaign. I've filed with the board of elections. I'm fundraising. I'm holding events. I'm out campaigning every single day. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that inspired me the most to, to run for mayor is that I feel like there's nobody else in the field that is speaking for the things that I care about, the values that I hold dear, and the people that I, that I know across the city that need someone to speak for them, with them, about them, uh, and inspire people at a very politically uh, sensitive time. You know, this is about um, running my campaign across the city, but it's also about politically engaging a lot of people that are politically disengaged, uninvolved, disillusioned, navigating despair, and I think that if there's one thing I can accomplish is to inspire people to, to fight back, uh, to fight for what they need and to um, imagine a different future than the one we currently live in. Okay. So that's a political answer. Okay. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so you're going to do great because that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> but, no, it, I mean, like what's yeah. the specific issue do you feel like is driving your inspiration to do this? Yeah. Is it like, is it, you know, is, is, is it housing? Is it, is it academia? Yeah. Like, what is it exactly? So I think the thing that sets me apart the most from every other candidate is yeah. policing, po policing. Um, the role of the police in the, the role city. Of, the role of the police. The controversial role. The amount of, the of money that we spend, 40% uh, yeah. of our budget. Um, and every year that number gets higher and higher and higher. Sure. Um, I am coming from a campaign from an abolitionist perspective. Uh, people talk about defunding the police. Um, as like a as like a buzzword, mm -hmm. um, I believe in in a world where police don't exist. Uh, getting from where we are now to that future is very, very different, very dramatic. A lot of um, separation of the ways in which our systems are built around incarceration, mm -hmm. 
uh, policing, uh, surveillance, um, division, you know, are, are, we live in one of the most segregated cities in the United States, uh, where you cross the street and the entire racial demographic of a neighborhood changes hundred percent. Um, the way in which each individual neighborhood is, um, monitored, uh, dealt with, um, and policed, uh, is incredibly different. Um, I most recently lived in little village, uh, just moved up here less than a year ago and the police presence is night and day. I lived on a pretty hot block where um, I, on a Saturday night, I'd be watching TV and I'd hear, you know, 10, 20 gunshots and not even pause the, the, the program I was watching because it was so just like prevalent, prevalent. And also just like I became very desensitized mm -hmm. to it very quickly. Um, and it's just night and day. Well, um, one of the number one questions I get from people, especially people who watch Fox News when I'm visiting home or relatives, is about the violence in Chicago and um, and the crime. They've, you know, Fox News and these other networks, they've really amped that up, even though Chicago is not even, I think, the top 10 for murders per capita. Right. But we do have a serious, you know, yeah. crime problem here. And you're talking about getting rid of the police. Yeah. Is there a country, a nation, a place that does yeah. not have a police that... Is, is doing okay. Right. So I think that's the difference between um, what I'm the, the, the political ideology of abolition, right? Mm -hmm. And that the present reality is that police exist across the entire planet, mm -hmm. whether it's military police, whether it's civilian police, um, and that there's no real like, uh, like example out there to show what the world could be without this force, without mm -hmm. this uh, response to violence that exists, right? Crime, mm -hmm. right. Uh, violent uh, gun crime, uh, shootings, robberies, theft, et cetera. Um, but that like we can imagine a world that like police isn't the solution to every problem, right? Because I think that when social services get defunded, when mental health clinics get closed, when the, bud the budget is taking millions of dollars from public schools to build a police academy, mm -hmm. it's not just about like how the police are operating in the city. It's that like our resources are being completely funneled towards uh, active like occupation of most of the city. Right. And I think that it's controversial because um, our understanding of safety is completely rooted in the fact that we only have one language for safety. And for most people, that's police. Call the police. Right. Right. And whoop, I think whoop. that Call there's, the police. there's, there's the fact yeah. that we pay officers to patrol the streets, patrol the city. There's also the fact that we often respond to violence or crime, et cetera, with the idea of police in our own head, in mm -hmm. our own hearts, and how we view conflicts, how we view problems, how we view problem people, and how we often dispose of people uh, with the idea of like, well, that person should be in jail. And we don't really think about what it means to be in jail, what it means to be incarcerated, what it means to lose years of your life, what it means to be separated from your family, from your loved ones, from the world, and to be thrown back out when, whenever your sentence is done, to be thrown back out with like no dollars, no resources, nowhere to go. No, no understanding of what the current world is doing in recidivism. You know, people go back to crime because they have no other understanding of how to operate through the world is abolish. Uh, you know, part of me, the problem with like the, the phrase defund the police yeah. or even de abolish the police is that it sort of um, works against the goal, which is to reform the police in the sense that like we're relying on this one institution to do the job of healthcare, of right. social work, of teaching children, yeah. of babysitting, yeah. of, of traffic control. Like it, it's so many things are dumped on the, on this one job mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, realistic. And, and so you get the, the worst kind of people trying to get in that position. Yeah. And, you know, the, the phrase defund the police yeah. is, is um, in terms of a political tool, yeah. it almost serves to have the opposite effect. It makes people sort of like, well, we got to double down on the police because yeah. that's the only thing we got. And Joe Biden, uh, who's supposed to be the progressive Democrat, yeah. you know, he's uh, raising the funding of, yeah. of the police in the United States. It, there's no there's very little discussion on shifting some of these responsibilities to other institutions or other right. other types of jobs. Yeah. And I think that the police, it's particularly in Chicago, yeah. serves as one of the few opportunities for people from lower income backgrounds to enter the middle class. Because mm -hmm. you start off at $80,000 a year mm -hmm. as a first year rookie. Um, I and think here we are podcasting. Yeah, what? <laughs> I'm going to become a cop. <laughs> you have the right to remain sexy. Um, and I think that, you know, 
like you just said, a hundred thousand police is what uh, Congress is trying to fund right now in terms of just like not across the country. And I think that in times of political repression, uh, the government needs to protect its interests, which is property, which is business, which people going to work. And nobody wants to go to work if it feels unsafe to step outside your house. Right. But I think Mm -hmm. that we go back to this idea that police is a language. Police is an idea. Police is sometimes the only color we're painting with. Yeah. Um, So so is is the word abolish? I mean, you know, you're a politician, you're running for mayor. Right. Is that like already sort of like, is that going to get you where you want to go? Is that taking the wind out of your sails on day one? Like, can you say reform the police as opposed to abolish the police? Or can you use even other words to describe change as a, you know, like Obama was like hope and change. Right. And I think, and I think that people are used to that idea of reform, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think, Almost every candidate is a reformist. I think there's one candidate that's very much so pro-police that it's like the police, you know, well, we won't talk about the, the pro-police mm-hmm. candidate, yeah. but everyone's reformist. Everyone's like more money for this, more money for that. Um, I think that I can't step away from abolish because that's honestly what I believe in. It's just like it's hard to interpolate such a novel idea into the reality because it's never been done anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the idea of defund is like abolition in practice. It's like defund this program, defund this, this sure. budget line item, defund this cop academy, uh, which went from $95 million before Lori was elected to now $130 million. They're literally building replica neighborhoods out on the West side. So the police can figure out how to best invade people in their homes. Like that's what we're spending 30 millions on. And there's a $30 million shortfall in CPS because this city is slowly privatizing every public asset. Mm. You know, people are moving out of the city in droves. People can't send their kids to public school because the public schools are completely unfunded. We talk about funding the police, you know, coming from government funding. Yeah. We're also talking about the fact that that money's coming from somewhere else, right? You're talking about everything that, you know, we get, we throw the police all these jobs, but at the same time, police are also advocating for their funding to increase. That money has to come from somewhere and it's being reallocated. And I think that for me, this is like my flashpoint differential thing because mm-hmm. everyone's wants city to be better. Everyone wants more jobs, more this, more that. But this is the only thing that defines me as a different candidate, which also has made it really hard because people who are pro abolition, because the police union is yeah. not going to endorse you. Oh, a hundred percent. But they don't like our current mayor either. I mean, the thing is, is Lori has stepped bend over backwards tooth and nail to be like, I love cops and they haven't moved an inch how much they dislike her. Um, she even gave them a full body massage on television <laughs> <laughs> with oil, expensive oil. Well, yeah. you know, for people that aren't familiar with Chicago yeah. politics or the police department, yeah. there is, you know, it, it's it's been systematic racism uh, with the police for, yeah. you know, 100 years, decades. Yeah. And in the 80s and 90s, the reader did this wonderful expose on John Burge. Yeah. And basically he tortured people to confess for crimes that they didn't do or and they had to face the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, they had a Republican governor who, you know, who, who put a stay of execution on all of them because so many of these cases, you know, they were finding out people were confessing to crimes. Um, and there's just recently there's been people that were serving uh, for 26 years just recently got out. You there's mean coerced and coerced, yeah. And then there was also yeah. like Hamman and Square, Hamman Square that uh, Zach Stafford, who used to come on the podcast, and now he's a Tony Award winning uh, co-producer for a Strange Loop, which won for best musical. Uh, he did a, a bunch of exposés on that and like uh, and talking about that and basically, you know, he left Chicago, and I think that you know. Maybe part of that reason is, is too, because it's like, it's hard to report on those kinds of things because there is such animosity towards it, you know, because people just, they view the police and they're like, we need to support the police because the police are here to protect us, even though, uh, what are they protecting you from and who's paying the price for that protection? Yeah. And I mean, when you're talking about a force of thousands of people, it's not like every single person is doing a bad no, agent, bad no. actor. But, you know, they talk yeah. about, oh, it's a bad apple. Yeah. But there are systems of, 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 of oppression in place and have been in place for decades. Yeah. I just think it would be very interesting to have this conversation mm-hmm. on a wider scale, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that nobody's having this conversation because everyone's doing the same thing where everyone wants to keep the line, toe the line. No one wants to be mm-hmm. transgressive. No one wants to challenge these ideas because it feels very dangerous. I was just at a campaign event a few, a few hours ago. Um, and I'm very careful. Lady Gaga. I was at the Lady Gaga concert <laughs> campaigning outside <laughs> Wrigley Field. So you're, so you're campaigning outside of, of <laughs> the, where was that? Concert? It was Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Trying to sneak in to see the concert. LOL. Um, but I mean, there was a very heavy police presence around the entire perimeter. Yeah. 
And I'm very careful about engaging in this conversation in public because I never know who I'm talking to. I never know who's in with an earshot. And, you know, I feel incredibly unsafe um, becoming more visible of having these politics because um, I think it's for obvious reasons. You know, there are people who have very vested interests in keeping uh, certain systems well-funded mm-hmm. and they are no strangers to political intimidation. And that intimidation can be verbal. That intimidation can be physical. Have you been harassed or not intimidated? Y- not yet. So they He's really don't think you're sense. serious. I mean, they don't know I exist yet. Oh, okay. I mean, there's there's the difference between like seriousness and like that's the other thing. This is like I'm kind of towing the sign of like how visible do I want to be? How visible do I want to be about this particular issue? Sure. Um, well, this is. I mean, I, I said, why do you define your campaign right. as? And that was your first answer. So. Yeah. That is, you know, in fact, uh, you know, even your business card said, like, uh, fuck the police. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but your uh, business card says Saxon for mayor. Yeah. And on the back side, it says they, them, L. Hey, hey. It's, hey, it's hey. a Latine, uh, Latine. gender neutral uh, pronoun. What happened to Latinx? So it, Latinx doesn't translate well into a pronoun. Okay. So lat- yeah. Latine. Hey, hey. Latine is an A. You, your dad's American gringo. Yeah. And your mom is Bolivian. Yeah. Okay. So I got my dad's last name because my dad was actually half Swedish, a quarter German, and a quarter English, but he has a German last I, name. And your middle name is not Anglo. No. Okay. <laughs> my middle name is Paul, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Apostle. And so you're, you're the first openly non-binary uh, political candidate yeah. who used the second one to be a former drag queen <laughs> uh, running for mayor of Chicago. And, uh, you know, uh, people are just like, well, was, you know, openly non-binary. Who's, yeah. who's in the closet? I was like, well, take a look at Lightfoot. She's Stone Cold Butch. <laughs> you know, back when that day, like, you know, the, all the Stone Cold Butch is a generational yeah. thing. Because mm-hmm. if you're a lesbian and you Stone Cold Butch, mm-hmm. w- this day and age, you're non-binary. Yeah, I think that yeah. gender expression mm-hmm. and gender language changes year to year. Um, even back, back in the day, I feel like I was yeah. playing with gender, but in a performative context. Right. Um, but also I just feel like I never really as went Jezebel as Go-Go. Jezebel. And I feel like I never yeah. really went back to like my normative cis identity because like as a teenager, you know, we didn't have language for queerness, gender queerness, non-binariness 10 years ago. And it's only, it's only been a decade. Um, and I think that even now language is, def- is changing by the minute. Um, and people are you know, really evangelical about uh, certain uh, categories. Some people are really defensive about pronouns. Um, But I think that people are navigating ways in which they want to feel like they belong in this world. They feel safe. I think in Chicago, particularly our queer communities are so diverse um, and have such different expressions, but I feel like it can also feel kind of like foreign to people who are coming from different backgrounds. Like, I mean, we're talking about the Lady God concert. Mm -hmm. I was at just earlier Everyone that I talked to on that waiting in line, talking outside tickets, mm-hmm. you know, I was wearing a flashy outfit. Almost nobody was from Chicago. One in 10 people were Chicagoans because yeah, I was asking like Indiana, from the Nebraska, Michigan. Iowa, Kansas, everywhere. Yeah. Like oh, because they flew in for it. They because, oh, drove it mostly because like Gaga's only doing a few shows in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she canceled her tour three years ago because of COVID. And all these people are like honoring tickets from like, you know, stadium shows that, you know, a thousand miles away. Oh, wow. Um, There's only so many celebrities in you know wheelchairs that she can do duets <laughs> with. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tony. What's his Bennett. name? Tony Bennett yeah. and uh, Liza Minnelli. Yeah. Who's, who did Didn't she Tony bring up? Didn't Tony die? Didn't he die? They, he's he's yeah. gone, no longer with us, yes. Did he, he pass away? Passed along. Passed did he pass away? I think so, right? I, so, I she, so like Gaga did a tribute to Tony Bennett at the Oscars mm-hmm. or like the Grammys, at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And she was like, we miss you, Tony. And I literally remember being like, he's not dead yet. Yeah, yeah he's not dead. He's oh, not dead, right. exactly. But he, she, we're Shit. memorializing him like he is because she she's kind of leaning into that. And that's kind of that's always been weird to me. Well, because well, he's retired, right? And he's also like his. his he did his farewell show yeah, with Gaga at Radio City yeah. Music Hall last year. And he said, who are you? Yeah. And, and he's, <laughs> he's, you know, the, uh, he's like performance on stage, you know, doing an hour. And then like the next day, he's like, he doesn't remember any of it. Oh, that's so sad. Um, wow. But, you know, the human that, mind. Well, that's the, the you know, if we're all lucky enough we yeah. all will one day be in a wheelchair singing with lady gaga <laughs> you know and, and be like who are you yeah <laughs> and i mean like the moment with liza the oscars was kind of weird that was too. such a sweet moment it really was i guess i, yeah. I guess they uh, you know because the whole crisis with the the, the slap with, really yeah, threw everything off because i guess oh, liza yeah. didn't want to go out there in a wheelchair yeah and so they, they but they screwed things up and she's just like it's either you go out there in a wheelchair now yeah. or you don't go out there at all. And she was like, all right, I'll do it. So she was kind of thrown for a loop. 
Yeah, I felt like it was kind of unfair because I could tell she was nervous because she didn't want to be yeah. out there in that setting. And then she was kind of trembling. And like Gaga was riffing and kind of making it like, you know, comfort her. But I also felt like, you know, they could have made this into a video. They could have done it like pre-staged. And it just kind of I felt... Loved it. I loved I thought it was a really sweet, tender moment. And we need to show aging yeah. and vulnerability, and, and, vulnerability yeah. and that, you know, the human body yeah. eventually mm-hmm. stops working and, yeah. and, and that mm-hmm. it will happen to all of us yeah. if we're lucky. Right. So what did you learn at the Lady Gaga concert or with the, with your uh, constituents? <laughs> I learned yeah. that a lot of people, um, I've been to maybe five or six Gaga shows in the last 10 years. Um, and people were not as friendly. No, it was the unfriendliest, like, like, Trying to just like get people's attention, being like, well, "Hey, people do- are worried about yeah. COVID. They're worried about monkeypox." I mean, sure. I just like the so I went to the last Gaga show at Wrigley Field five years ago okay. for the Joanne tour when she was her doing her cowboy shtick, mm-hmm. and I you just lost all the Joanne fans. <laughs> <laughs> All five of them. I mean, I literally showed up to your apartment in a cowboy hat, so like, I don't think yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're you're on the edge of not glory, but of, of losing the election already. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, well, the last time I went to the show, most of the crowd was people from the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of women, um, bottle blondes, because everywhere I walked, I went to get like a beer, like a hot dog, to the bathroom. Yeah. Drunk women uh, sexually like accosted me everywhere I went. You know, I was like, I had never been more sexually harassed my entire life than at a Lady Gaga really? concert. Yeah, I was. They want you, what, what do they want to do with you? So what most of them were with their horny? most of them were with their boyfriends or their husbands, and it was like I don't know, it was like some weird sexual fantasy because they would like in front of their man, like run up to me, grab my chest, grab my like because you were in drag. I was wearing the, the cowboy outfit. Right? I was wearing my cowboy outfit. And I was wearing cowboy spurs, and I think the spurs is really and the aphrodisiac. And you had a nice rack, nice yeah, uh, boobs. Right, the titties were out, and yeah. And lost so their minds, like, short circuited. Like, I love queer people. Like, kiss me from like 15 feet away. Would see me scream and run up to me and just start like literally touching my body. Wow, who knew all that French was such a turn off? <laughs> well, and their the boyfriends thing. are watching. Right, that's the thing. That's why I wore it again because I was like, were well, the this is it's cute. I mean, sometimes. I mean, the thing was just like I felt like it was like this weird like cuck situation okay. where it's like the like I'm like just here like trying to like not engage with these people and it's just happening to me. And I'm like freaking out because I'm like, I was like 150 pounds back then. I was kind of skinny. And like, these women were like, just like, just fina- like, they like the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, this is the thing like, you know, I'm super- in this day and age when drag has become so mainstream and everybody wants to be a drag queen. Yeah. It seems like it, it, it's weird that like only Maddie Morphosis mm-hmm. is the only like openly heterosexual guy yeah. doing it, you know? Yeah. And I'd like to see some like, you know, Kind of um, porkies <laughs> in 2022. Like some straight guys would be like, "Oh, if I dress up as a woman, I can get all the pussy yeah. I want." A lot of these rug, you know, drag race fans and mm-hmm. and the women who are into that stuff, they they get very physically affectionate. Yeah, with a drag queen, right. and part of it is that I think because in their mind they're thinking this is not a sexual thing. Yeah. But from your vantage point, you're just like, oh, my God, they're like pushing their way into me and yeah. crossing a lot of boundaries. Right. And because I felt like I was also yeah. I mean, I was like wearing like clothes, but as myself, no makeup. But like mm-hmm. I felt like I was also in drag, like as a cowboy. Right. Like it was like this like drag king kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and kind of this hyper masculinity or like this idea of like of uh, an idea of people that associate with masculinity like cowboys. But I was just wearing like fringe a hat and spurs. And that's all it took to drive people crazy. And I thought that I could repeat that kind of craziness this time, but just be like, well, let me just wear the same outfit. So this but is like, the same outfit you wore yeah, tonight. Five, yeah. You wore at the at the uh, Gaga concert five years ago. So they were attacking you five years ago. What yeah. happened today? The opposite. Nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to make eye contact. People were like, absolutely not. Were I, you in makeup today? No. So were you in makeup five years ago? No. So it was the same look. Literally the same look. Five years apart and completely different responses. Well, we're post-COVID, you know? It's like people want that five feet of distance. Sure, but it's... But also your outfit matched five years ago, and now it may have seemed dated. Maybe. I mean, I kind of made jokes being like, I was like, oh, is anyone here for the Joanne ball? You know, like, being like, feeling like, okay, I know what I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't have, like, time to make a new outfit because her new aesthetic is very, like, alien and, like, kind of, like, punky and, like... some tin foil. Plastic, right? And there were a lot of people in cute outfits, but, like... Nobody was from Chicago because that was the whole thing. I was trying to find people from yeah, Chicago to connect yeah. with the community here. And I would just, I, that was my default was like, is anyone here from Chicago? And I would walk up to 40 people, crickets. 
Can you get Lady Gaga to endorse you for, <laughs> for mayor? I mean, there was part of me that I hoped that some part, some person from her team saw me outside and was like, come on in. And she's um, like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. I mean, <laughs> shit. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, yeah. I think that if we're talking about Lady yeah. Gaga, because we talked a lot about her last time I was here nine years ago, because yeah. I just met her outside of Oprah Studios, is that I think that she... You actually did meet uh, yeah. Gaga. Mm-hmm. I was in drag then. Like That was said, my please, third time in drag. Uh, yeah. If you haven't bought any merchandise, <laughs> you can't get an autograph. But back then she was like, what, 24? And I was like 19, yeah. 20. And yeah. now she's like, I'm about to be 40. Uh, in like two years and I'm 32. And I think that her association with queerness, with, with her own LGBTQ identity, because back in the day she said she was bi and now she's proudly she straight. She had a Hermie dick. Yeah. That's I mean, she that's, that she like, she, she, yeah. she played a lot with this idea of like being considered transsexual person. Yeah. Uh, in the Anderson Cooper inter- interview and like kind of just like played tongue in cheek being like, well, what if I was, what if this was this? What do you think I am? Um, right. And I think it was like transgressive in a way because it was like kind of playing with the collective understanding of gender but I think now that like I was at this concert seeing all these people come in from all over the country to come to this show at a time where like gay people, trans people are being politically persecuted everywhere. And Chicago is one of the few like oasis legislatively protective, mm-hmm. whatever that like it just seemed like there was no political edge to anybody coming. Everybody just wanted to come to a show. Uh, people wanted to dress up. People wanted to have fun. Of course, they should have the right to. But I also was like there were also people outside talking about abortion rights. I talked to them, people activists. Everybody just wanted to just like, I want to get inside. I want to buy a beer. I want to buy a hot dog. I want to, you know, pop yeah, a pill. Yeah, I want you harsh in their buzz with the talk politics. And like, politics. I was, I, I wasn't even like, I couldn't even get to the, to the, to the, to the, to the cell because nobody was from Chicago. Anybody <laughs> that said yes and I said I'm running for mayor took my card. So we've established that campaigning outside a Lady Gaga concert, not good. It was, it was, I, it was like so two or three hours, a, but. Another uh, political stunt you did uh, <laughs> is you ran into a microphone. And grab the mic at the AIDS Memorial Garden. What's the what's the AIDS Memorial Garden? Yeah, so the AIDS Memorial Garden has been funded by the city and some private donors. Yeah. It's a Keith Herring statue, 75 feet tall. It's a self-portrait of Keith. It's green. It's like a singular avatar image yeah. that's supposed to evoke his imagery. Right. It's on Belmont, Belmont and Lakeshore Drive between Lakeshore Drive and the lake. where so the It's a, it's a public monument sculpture mm-hmm. and they were the unveiling of it. Yeah. And so everybody wanted to be there because it was like yeah. a feel good moment. So we was, love the community. Chicago, love, love is love. Yeah. And then you came in and you grabbed the microphone. And, and I ruined everybody's day. So <laughs> it was on June 2nd um, and it was yeah. Thursday morning. It was like 10 a.m. And it was yeah. like an hour and a half program. Yeah. Uh, Pritzker and Lightfoot were there to cut the ribbon together because they couldn't decide which one of them could hold the scissors. Uh, so, so they were fighting two, over the scissors. They had two scissors. They cut it simultaneously because that seemed to be the most prudent option. Uh, I got there right as they cut the ribbon, um, and there was uh, an hour of speeches, an hour of people talking about the AIDS crisis, uh, current standing of HIV, and there were like maybe five people talking: um, mm-hmm. Lori uh, Pritzker, Tom Tunney, and the so that's the the city's uh, the mayor yeah. and the and the uh, progressive State. but wealthy governor uh, governor yes yeah so they were the first two to speak, yeah. and they basically had the exact same speech. Uh, it was the beginning. I of love June. AIDS, but I don't have AIDS. <laughs> It was just a lot. The the refrain was uh, AIDS yeah. was a lesson, it's an a AIDS lesson. a lesson that we learned as a, as a as a as a city as a culture as a people, and that we were applying that lesson to the present moment appropriately, right? And I mean, this was before the monkeypox surge, uh, and uh, you know, I don't think we learned anything. I, that's what that's how I felt. Yeah. That's why I was yeah. upset. I think we've learned things. We're just not doing anything with the knowledge that we did learn. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. What 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 does it mean to learn your lesson? But that's what it's to change your behavior, right? That's wow. what everyone kept repeating over and over for an hour. And I'm so it was the weekend after Memorial yeah. Day, which is IML weekend in Chicago. Yeah. Um, which generates six million dollars worth of revenue from people coming in town, spending money on this largest kink event in the United States in the world, actually. And I decided to dress in leather to come to this memorial event because I felt like everyone's going to be in a suit. Everyone's going to be dressed to the nines right. uh, in this hot summer day. And I was like, no, like if I'm going to a memorial for people who fought for AIDS, who died of AIDS, the leather community was the first to organize food, groceries, uh, hospice care, uh, just c- protecting the community that was you know, suffering because it was our community. And I felt like that not a lot of other people from that time, from the 80s, from the 90s, are around to honor, to be honored, right. but also to come and to honor the, the, yeah. the memorial. So I was like, let me honor them by wearing my leathers. Uh, I didn't, you know, I was wearing chaps, but I was wearing jeans underneath. I was wearing a jacket. I was wearing a chain. I was wearing a hat. I was wearing the whole kit caboodle. 
And I'm sitting there in the hot summer sun for an hour and a half listening to people say that we learned from AIDS when, you know, the city is. Well, take- Nancy Reagan uh, was a pioneer, according to uh, um, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Clinton, you know. Right. And I think that um, the. the, the- Boy, was that, that that was like, you know, that was when uh, I, when she said that, I feel like that was Hillary Clinton was not going to be president. I mean, that's the, that's what I felt. The like. The White House yeah. honored Nancy Nancy Reagan yeah. the first week of June, the week that with this a stamp. happened. Yeah, with a stamp. Yeah, um, pride here, Nancy Reagan. Well, when they, what, to be fair, the stamp said no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so what did you? So, how did you get up to the podium? So, um, yeah. So it was about an hour and a half, and I'm like stewing. I'm in all yeah. wearing leather and sun, and this woman stops me. And was like, I heard the winner was from Belgium, and I was like, What does that mean? The winner. And she was like, oh IML. God. She was like, the winner was from Belgium. She said, Chuck would have loved that. That's why he named it International Mr. Leather. And I'm like, who are you? You're the first person in an hour and a half that's actually talked to me like I'm a human. Because uh, everyone else is just standing off staring at me like I'm some scary person. And I start chatting with her. And it's Lori Cannon, who's in the LGBTQ oh, Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Well, we and, love Lori. And I've never Lori's met her before. right around the corner. She's right around the corner. I've been, yeah. I've been a frequent visitor of her uh, food pantry. Um, because I'm in local in the neighborhood now. And yeah. for people that don't know, Lori was a school bus driver. And when where people were sick and dying from AIDS, she would take food to their home because she knew the best routes. Yeah. She's like, I can drive and I can go there. And people, <laughs> people used to call her the angel of death. Wow. Because she would come and, you know, these young men would die. Yeah. And we would tell our friend Victoria Lamar, who yeah. had HIV and AIDS, full-blown AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, if Lori comes to your room, you send her away. Wow. Send her away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> run, know? run, Victoria, you know? away from the light. No, she's a She's a She's a, she's a wonderful. And Liz, people yeah. absolutely, yeah. we love her and adore her. We love Lori. Yeah. And Lori has a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, she uh, definitely is a, a, is a savvy very smart and very hum- compassionate yeah. person. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm having this very first conversation with this person yeah. I didn't, had no history of. Yeah. And she's fumbling with this thing she's hanging around her neck. And I'm like, what's that you're playing with? She's like, this belonged to my best friend, Daniel Sotomayor, mm-hmm. who was a gay political cartoonist in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s who addressed the AIDS crisis in, I think, the Sun-Times, or the which... Uh, public article he was, was. Uh, involved with ACT UP and yeah. he was somebody who would run to the microphone and grab it and exactly. tell people we've learned nothing yeah and, and, and you didn't so paying tribute to Daniel so that's so what she's telling me yeah. she's, she's holding yeah. Daniel's press pass that he forged to break yeah. into a mayoral press conference to demand money from the city from Mayor Daly for yeah. people living with and dying with AIDS yeah. and I'm like hearing the story from her being like that is the first time I've actually heard someone like memorialize a person that lived and died with AIDS this whole morning Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, Lori, we just met, but I would like to honor your best friend today. She's like, go get him, Tiger. So I stood up, walked past all the TV cameras, all the people sitting in their little press seats. And at, it literally just as like the, the event is closing up. They're introducing the Gaiman's Chorus who starts singing Lady Gaga's Born This Way Acapella. And I start screaming. <laughs> I start yelling. I How dare you? <laughs> How dare you come here and lie and electioneer at this memorial event? And say that we let, let, let AIDS was this lesson that we learned that we, we we're applying it now when when you're not, you know, you've taken away every COVID mitigation, every little metric. The entire country is just like, look the other way. And it's like we're, we're, we've been in a continuous COVID wait since April. Yeah, there has been no lull. That's four months. 500 people are still dying every day of COVID. But nobody knows that because the media, the government, everyone's collectively like looked away and, you know, this was before the monkeypox surge. And now we're dealing with a third pandemic, you know, HIV, COVID, monkeypox. And I was just so angry and indignant because you're here at this memorial place, a place where I'm, I came to honor my queer ancestors that fought tooth, blood and nail so that I could have the rights that I have today. And you're here to just like pat yourself on the back. Like, and, then, and they're like, uh, can we continue singing Born This Way now? <laughs> I, I, you know, so how long, how long were you up there before they cut the sound? Well, th- so I didn't get to the microphone because they had already moved away from the microphone. They had already turned the microphone off because the, the yeah. singers were singing. Oh. And so I just literally just like tried to get as close to Pritzker and Lloyd as possible. And I'm just, I, you know, when I yell, I yell. I have a really intense voice when I yell and everyone lost their minds. You know, Lori's security team like turtled her away from me. Uh, Pritzker was walking off the event site when I did this and I got right in his face and I was like, where is the leadership? Where is the leadership? And he looked so despondent and sad because he felt like there was truth to what I was saying because everybody's done this COVID erasure thing Mm -hmm. because it's an election year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're not really dealing with it anymore. We've we've collectively just like given up. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the thing. You know, I have to say I'm part of the problem because I'm just like, I don't want to just, you know, just hibernate and wear a mask everywhere I go. I do wear a mask when I'm on the train. I I do feel like the the wearing a mask debate is the same thing as recycling the cans Mm. debate in terms of the environment. Yeah. It's like it's it's all about making the responsibility based on individuals and where they shop and what they do and not our government and not our corporations and not providing resources for the most marginalized. You know, it's, it's about like, did you wear a mask or not wear a mask? That's not to me is like not really going to change much when we're not really, we're defunding so many vital resources that keep people alive. And we don't have universal healthcare still. Right. So I was in Bolivia to visit my family in Carnival, February, March this year. And so Bolivia experienced COVID in very different ways. Um, right when COVID started, there was a really uh, far right uh, president in power. Mm-hmm. Everyone was on lockdown seven days a week. You could leave your house one hour a day, one day a week for that nine sucks. months. <laughs> for nine months. And so people got really upset yeah. and were like, everyone became a COVID denier because they felt like it was political repression. It wasn't about the disease. It was yeah. about the political person in power oppressing them. To keep them at home. And, and keep not- them at home. And so once that person was finally removed, and like the political thing about Bolivia is this whole other story. But once that changed and yeah. everyone could go back to like doing their lives and everything went back to normal, COVID exploded. A lot of people died really quickly and everyone realized what was at stake. And so then the country did a complete U-turn. being like, well, we're still going to do things. We're going to go to work. We're going to do that. We're going to leave the house. Everyone's going to mask everywhere. The whole time I was there, I couldn't, my family wouldn't let me out onto the sidewalk if I didn't have a mask on my face leaving the door. If we were out somewhere and I pulled my mask down because I was like sweating. Does the altitude in Bolivia, does that affect how people respond to COVID at all? Because like, I know like people who live and grow up in yeah. the Andes have yeah. like larger lung capacity. I th- so when I was there, the COVID death rate for the entire country was one or two people a day. A day. Is that a lot for their population? It it's was so, so the Bolivian, yeah. like the entire Bolivian country is 11 million people. Okay. So it's, it's like maybe like a hundred times less death rate than the United States. Okay. Because everyone is like, just, just masks just, alone. Right. And because the thing is Bolivia didn't get vaccines for months after we started mm-hmm. months after. And it was like a perfect storm. That's why so many people died and everyone still cares. Like everyone's still how mining many people it. People are living in like, uh, uh, you know, in cities there. It's, it's very rural. They're so, too in small towns. So La Paz was where I was. And it, was yeah. it was a city of a million people. Okay. Uh, it's pretty like urbanly dense because it's just like city, city, city. And then it's just like, like nothing until right. the next city, which is like six hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, you know, part of it is, I think it's like we, we saw at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, yeah. You people are asking, well, how's this going to play out? And I said, well, just, you know, read history books. Uh, The 1918 uh, influenza pandemic, which is uh, incorrectly called uh, the Spanish flu. Right. um, People just couldn't handle it anymore. And and they just gave up on it. And millions of people died. And we're sort of, you know, going through history of then. Thankfully, we have vaccines. We have uh, monoclonal antibodies. We have a lot more. Uh, medical resources today to mitigate that. But, uh, you know, there is still, you know, I, I guess I'm wondering, it's like, why are the countries not getting vaccinated the way yeah. we are? Well, our, yeah. our government uh, subsidized our vaccines, yeah. right? Like everybody got their shot. But the thing is, is the vaccines were formulated for the first iteration of COVID. COVID has mutated 18 times since then. Yeah. That's why vaccines aren't as effective as they are. Nobody's getting a booster. Uh, they were never meant to be the the only stopgap. Mm-hmm. You know, vaccines are supposed to be used with other non-pharmaceutical interventions like masking, distancing, having events outside. You know, I think Lori Lightfoot went from harassing black teenagers who were playing basketball in the first three months of the pandemic to being hosting Lollapalooza, the first major music festival in the world yeah. within a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like that extremeness, right? Because we all different. We all treated COVID very differently mm-hmm. in the first few months. When COVID was actually the least like virulent, like the death rate from like the first wave of COVID was high because a lot of nursing homes got infected. But once people got vaccinated, the death rate is still high. It's just like people who are vaccinated are dying. That's the thing we're not talking about. It's like a vaccine isn't a guarantee that you're not going to die from COVID. So what would you like to see be done differently? So, of, you know, how are you yeah. failing? How, you know, you certainly you're running for office. Yeah. You have solutions. Right. So the federal government completely stopped all COVID funding in March mm-hmm. nationwide. I think that because there is no 
money from Funding the top for what exactly for testing, for testing for people who get sick who are to have no insurance to right. go to the hospital. I think that Illinois could have stepped up, Chicago could have stepped up and replaced the safety net that the federal government took away, and they chose not to. Because it's not a politically salient thing to do to care about COVID anymore because mm -hmm. people do not want to care. And it's fair because we were traumatized. We were collectively traumatized for a year mm -hmm. and a half. Everyone wants to get back to normal. No one's shaming anyone mm -hmm. for wanting to get back to their lives. But the thing is, is like it's having a human toll that mm -hmm. we're not looking at because it's this like hyper capitalist reality that everybody, everybody needs to keep working. Everyone needs to keep shopping. Everyone needs to keep buying shit because it's the only thing that keeps our system working. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's, you know, they yeah. call it healthcare, but it's not, nobody it's cares. We, we live in an <laughs> open air casino. It's health capitalism. Yeah. Well, it's at will um, health coverage. Cause it's like, you know, if you went to the grocery store and you bought the groceries and then, and then you got the bill a month later and it was three or four times what you expected to yeah. pay. No one would have shop at that grocery store, but our healthcare, yeah. even with insurance, is, is that. Yeah, you know, you like, oh well, what, what does this jug of milk cost? And they're like, we really don't know. <laughs> well, your insurance covers that jug of milk, and then you get a thousand dollar bill two months two months later. And, and we, you don't know, and right. and so part of it is like everybody, even with insurance, is like hesitant to go to the hospital. Yeah. You know, it's like, and any other kind of medical problems that you have, and are, are also being mitigated by that. You know. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, political platforms here, yeah. uh, one thing that actually it, it seems silly on the surface, but actually there's a very deep um, undercurrent is the debate between Beyonce and Callie's. Yeah. Um, and so to explain that to the listeners, Beyonce came out with a new album. Yeah. That has a lot of house music. Mm -hmm. And there's this meme of RuPaul being like, oh, no, child. R Beyonce didn't save uh, house music. House music saved Beyonce. Ooh. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. And, and, and there is this, like, uh, Beyonce's pulling a lot of uh, queer and black legends, mm -hmm. you know, Big Frida, um, Callie's, and all these other artists sampling their work. Uh, rewriting Madonna's uh, Vogue to mm -hmm. be about black women mm -hmm. and entertainers. And, you know, Callie's uh, posted on social media. She said, like, nobody asked me. Yeah. Take my name off of that, yeah. you know? And Beyonce said, okay. Yeah. Did someone say my name? And so she took her name off. And then people are pointing out, it's like, well, wait a minute. Callie's doesn't own My Milkshake Brings the Boys yeah. to the Yard. The record label does. Right. And Beyonce got permission from the record labels. But because Callie's threw up such a stink, now she doesn't get any payback yeah. payments from her original song nor Beyonce's sample. Right. Well, we don't it. know if she would have gotten paid for Beyonce's sample either. That, that was, um, as a, as, um, according to what I read, oh, okay. uh, Callie's was in the songwriting credits. So okay. she was automatically yeah. getting paid okay. for that song. And then, so they cut, I probably cut her last check. And then because it's streaming now, yeah. you can go in and re, you know, reissue the song yeah. without Callie's name, without the sample. Yeah. And so basically now Callie gets a check for zero. And what I thought was interesting is just like how quickly everybody who loves and celebrates Beyonce was ready to, to disown her, yeah. you know, scream hatred at her just because she was in a position of power referencing an artist and they didn't understand the, the dynamic there. And even Callie herself didn't understand yeah. the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of samples on the album because, yeah. like you said, she references a lot of people, people who didn't really know that um, mm -hmm. they were going to be on this record, this huge record. Uh, some people who were obviously like really excited that they were featured on the record because they had no yeah. idea. So some underground people. Uh, I think that with Kalisk, who's uh, not too famous, that Milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, which is the song that's actually sampled on the the track that Beyonce featured her on. I just think it's complicated that. Um, these record labels, right? So many publishing goes to the, not the artists that we know them for and that people are navigating systems of ownership, money, artistry, uh, feeling like they're being bought and sold like stocks. And I think that there's a lot of pain that comes with feeling like you don't really own the thing everyone knows you for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when someone enormous like Beyonce comes along and like reactivates that pain for you, is it really about the fact that Beyonce didn't call you herself to let you know she was going to put you on a song or is that like this whole industry has exploited you for decades mm -hmm. and that this person is making you feel exploited yet again. And I think that, you know, a lot of Beyonce's fans mm -hmm. are pretty uh, passionate about, yeah. Yeah. about Queen B and they will fight tooth and nail when they feel like someone is coming for her. 
there was a recent critique mm-hmm. of the re- the Renaissance record uh, published in like Resident Advisor, which is like an underground music mm-hmm. uh, site by a black scholar who was like feeling like Beyonce's work was very opportunistic. This side and the other. I'm personally a fan of the record. Um, was listening to it at at the beach this Sunday with a bunch of people. And there was like 30 people that danced with the whole record start to finish and were having a ball. Yeah. I think that she kind of like tapped all the right notes at the right time when we're experiencing collective backlash against queerness, transness, um, and that she's kind of singing a song to honor us. The album is to honor the queer people that have always supported her. This is like, I feel like the right way to honor us back. I just think that, um, you know, there was like another another thing that happened where like there was like a, a word that she used in one of her songs that was derisive Spaz. of like desi- disabled people. Well, it was not Lizzo, wasn't it? They both put they, it yeah. in. Oh. So this is the weird yeah. thing, right? Lizzo put it in there, right? Yeah. It made a big uh, yeah. splash because people were like, you shouldn't say that word because yeah. it's short for spastic, mm-hmm. which is a medical condition which some people have. Yeah. Okay, sure, you used to call kids that in grade school, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, grow up and grow out of that. Don't call people names like that. And so Lizzo pulled it out yeah. and people were like, why would she have to pull it out? She doesn't want to harm people. Right. right? We don't want to harm people. Yeah. She doesn't want to get pregnant. And, you know, and, <laughs> and so then, <laughs> but then, so, so then Beyonce had it in her song and then it was the same kind of kerfuffle all over again. Yeah. It was just like no one in Beyonce's camp of those 300 yeah. producers, songwriters or whoever, none of them yeah. paid any attention to that. Or do they think, well, we'll just do the same kind of you thing. You won't break my heart. I think, I'm not sure if it was the same word for both instances. I, I know it was, it was like both the same idea, but I didn't hear I, the first two, three times I listened to the records. I didn't hear it in okay. the in the song. I don't even know which song it's out of. Okay. But like Beyonce immediately once this, the 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 backlash started, she was like, "It's done. It's gone. Bye." Yeah. Like, and I think that the frustrating thing that happens is the the people that get attacked for this that mm-hmm. get policed the most are have been black women. And I think that there's so many artists out there that have sang so much more aggressive, sure. absolutely without a doubt, you know, just unmindful shit, and they don't get the same level of like scrutiny mm-hmm. and this like but pressure. But it's not to Fox ch- News that's like, yeah, Tucker Carlson is not being like Beyonce right. must be stopped. Right. It's it's you, you know because we're not listening to Ted Nugent. You know what right. I mean? You know, yeah, right. It, it's it's our own community going after Beyonce because, yeah. and this is this is why I say to people, don't let past betrayals rob you of better relationships in the future. This is why it's so important to forgive. Yeah. Kelly's, if you're listening, forgive me for mispronouncing your name. Um, It's to have a better situation when it presents itself in the future. Had she just been like, you know what? I'm going to see this with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. I'm going to talk to my lawyers, my friends and get their opinion before I start going after Beyonce on social media and basically rob myself out yeah. of money yeah. and recognition and legacy yeah. that Beyonce is trying to give me yeah. as a present. She, she didn't have to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Beyonce can do all right, but you know, she don't, she needs house music and house music <laughs> needs Beyonce. It's not, it's not a situation where yeah. you're like one saving the other. Yeah. And, and to me, I just thought it was like something that we can take away from here as queer people, as marginalized people is like, just, forgive yeah i forgive all those rotten drag queens that came after me <laughs> time for how many decades now well two decades <laughs> somebody with a wig somewhere has said some unkind words for me you are all forgiven yeah because not because i don't think that you did something wrong or that mm. you didn't hurt me but because when i meet new people i don't want to be then shaped or influenced by that behavior and as long as you're going to be on social media, honey, you're, people are going to come after you. Like I, I got, I got basically. I guess I can talk about this now because I'm back on it. Scruff. Mm-hmm. So you know, I do a lot of networking for our other podcast. Let's grow big together, and yep. I talk to a lot of gay bodybuilders, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a great networking tool. I really like it. And if you know, there's some hot dick too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> hey, play up. Give me a call. <laughs> and and so. You know, I became friends with some of these people on on Facebook and one guy posted a picture of himself and his other friend, who's also really cute and sexy, commented on it. And I I said, it's like, you're both, you know, I said, you're such a hottie. And it's like, but you're not my number one cutie, you know, and they were like. You? So wait a second. Let's. Yeah. There's a photo. You made one comment that one said comment. you're a hottie, and then somebody else made a comment talking about his photo. Yes. And then you commented on that guy's comment but saying you're, you're the one I'm hot for. But you're my number one cutie. Okay. 
you're both beautiful, but you know, this other guy's yeah. to me, my number one cutie and he's, and he's beautiful. So I thought, um. so I thought then they both come after me and they're like, how dare you insult and disrespect me and, blah, 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 and I'm going to make you pay. Oh wow! And I was like, Oh yeah, bring it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what are you going to do? So these guys, and I guess their tribe, mm. they were in cahoots. Went after cahoots. my my uh, scruff profile oh, and shut it down. Wow. <laughs> they all reported me as like uh, oh, wow. spamming or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I was so shocked about wow. it. And I thought, you know, the customer service at, at these, you know, yeah. hookup apps is shit. Yeah. You know, when you're banned for life, yeah. you're never going to get it back. Right. So I was just like, well, I guess there goes that. <laughs> and thankfully I got back and they saw through that. Yeah. But it was like, even, even like yesterday, somebody did a friend request with me on Facebook and I said, thanks for the friend request. How's it going? How do I know you? And they're like, I just want to say you suck. And, blah, blah, blah. Oh, like, wow. and I was just like, why would you go? And you know, I yeah. learned this from Gary Vanyerchuk. Years and years ago. Who's that? He's an influencer. He's uh, somebody who's very positive, very... Early podcaster. Early podcaster. We met him at the podcast conference. He's now like killing it on TikTok, you know? So he's a a feel-good, kind of Mr. Rogers kind of guy. And he said, it's like, you know, you just got to tell those people, say, thank you so much for going out of your way to think about me today. (laughs) (laughs) Because ultimately, you know, with the internet, it's not... And maybe with politics is the same thing. It's not necessarily whether people like you or hate you as long as they're interacting with yeah. you. And, the, you know, and that's a dangerous place to be. And so, you know, in terms of like politics, in terms of social media, in terms of career where you're trying to get people's yeah. hearts and minds and attention, it is so important to really be healing and compassionate yeah. and kind to other people, even when they've not been that for you. And it's impossible to. So, you know, the moral of the story with Callie's is just get over it, girlfriend. But don't get over it. Get a lawyer involved. Get a lawyer. <laughs> so you mentioned Madonna's yeah. Yeah, uh, Madonna. earlier. So uh, Madonna. Beyonce remixed Vogue with yes. Break My Soul, did mm-hmm. that rap. And one of the, the things that she starts a song with is like, love thy hater. It's like this idea that letter to your haters. Yeah. It's like if yeah. people are going to hate you, if you're if you're a person in the world, half the world already hates you. Um, and you have to embrace that energy as attention mm-hmm. because it's, they're still thinking about you and then it's actually empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and, it's like, if you're a woman, there's misogynists they are going to hate right. you for that. If you're older, there's yeah. ages. They're going to hate you for that. If you're beautiful, they're going to hate you for that because they're <laughs> ugly. Um, <laughs> What did you say, Mark, is your uh, catchphrase? <laughs> I'm not sorry if you find my beauty oppressive. <laughs> uh, what's Pepper LeVay just saying in Paris is burning? Ha, suffer. Because, um, I mean, like ultimately, that's that's the, my goal is like m- my campaign is going to be extravagant, yeah. explosive. I'm trying to get into as many spaces and disrupt the conversation because these people feel like they own the place. Yes. Mm-hmm. The political class, donors, rich people, their, their political pawns feel like they have no challenge in, in just getting back in the power and keep the wheel rolling. I'm going to use like my years of, of extraness, galvanize that into my campaign and disrupt them everywhere, everywhere they go. Uh, the same way I disrupted that uh, memorial with, with my anger. We'll keep at it. I just, that's, you know, love the hater, but also give your hater some shit too. Well, uh, may you be a thorn in the foot of injustice. <laughs> As it crushes our faces collectively. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and best of luck to you, Thank Jay you. Saxon. Yeah. The J stands for uh, juicy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys can find me on my website, uh, saxonformayor.com. All social media handles are Saxon for Mayor. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, or you can find me just out in the wild. Just look for the gold. I would say the first person you need to get endorsement from is Joan Jet Black. Mm-hmm. Where we is could, she? She's in San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Let's, I could introduce you. Please. To I'll, just I'll, be like, uh, look, I ain't got no money. <laughs> I, I may I, not be. Rich. I forget which politician <laughs> was that said it to us though, but they said something along the lines: "It's like when you run for office, it's not necessarily that you want to get in that office. What you want to do is you want to push a platform." Yeah. You know, you want to push these ideas forward, 
make people talk about these things. Otherwise, they're not going to talk right. about them. They're not going to talk about housing. They're not going to talk about police. They're just, you know, they're going to yeah. be like, we're going to get more police. And Chicago is suddenly going to become right. super safe. Yeah. You know? Or you just be like the guy who, who became famous. The rent is too yeah. damn high. Yeah. Whatever happened to him? I love him. Did he ever him. find a place to live? I guess so. I don't I know if he was. A, <laughs> he was renting. I think so, right? He was. I don't know, but I he made it. So the, he. I, I don't remember. Did, did but he that was the name of his political party. Rally? The, the rent is too damn high. Party it was this thing. I can't remember his name. I don't though. know. His he name was, is uh, Jimmy McMillan. He was running for mayor of Chicago, uh, New York, actually, New York. He is a Vietnam War veteran, and his thing was like he wore black gloves. Mm, yeah, and he he uh, he's still yeah. at it. You know, I aspire to be a meme. Let's do it. Yeah, you just got to get that. You got to get into the television, yeah, right? You yeah. got to get into the and, boob, and that's boob the, tube. You got to get something that will rhyme, something that will catch. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't use. Get, I'm not sorry if my beauty is oppressive. Let's, let's get cooking. <laughs> let's get cooking. Yeah. Well, good, good luck with everything. Thank and you so and much. Uh, hey, guys, you know, uh, don't forget to subscribe to our our sibling podcast. Let's grow big together. Non-binary sibling. Our non-binary, gender fluid. We can say sister podcast. Our sister podcast. Right, we can. Uh, it's more brothers, though, yeah. you know. It's, it's a lot of dudes. A lot of meat. <laughs> a lot of meat and lots of gravy. Uh, it's called Let's Grow Big Together. And, of course, you know, we love hearing your feedback. If you love Feast of Fun, you want to see more episodes, uh, write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a five-star review. Hey, if you hate our guts and you think Jay Saxon is like, you know, the, the, what was the name of that uh, lady? The surfer lady from floor from Hawaii, who was like funded by Russians. Uh, Tulsi Yabbard. Tul Tulsi. <laughs> Are you funded by Russians? No, you're not. Not to my knowledge. Yeah. You ain't funded by nothing. <laughs> yeah. Your bank account's empty. <laughs> you got these uh, cafe press. <laughs> <laughs> Those are actually union printed. There's a union bug right oh, at the look bottom. At that. Yeah. Yes, look, at look for the union label. Look for the union label. Uh, you know, listen, uh, 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 Jay Saxon's doing some really good work and being a thorn in the foot of injustice. And, you know, all you got to come is one good catchphrase. Yeah. That's all you need. I have, listen, I've had about a thousand good catchphrases, all, all stolen by RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and that's okay. You know yeah. what? It's not necessarily the, it's things are going to get stolen. So might as well put right. good ideas into the world. Definitely. That's all you can do. And you may not win or maybe you will win. Who knows? Wouldn't You'll be like our wild. first openly non-binary mayor. Our first hot Gender mayor. queer. <laughs> Gender queer. They, them, Eje. And, and, and got, you know, it's like. What will you do then? You'll be like, holy shit. It's like the, the dog that caught a car. Right. <laughs> Woof. Woof. <laughs> I want to remind folks that we can't do this podcast without your support. So if you're not a Plus member yet, sign up today at feastoffun.com slash Plus because your contribution to the show is what makes this show happen. And we've been able to talk to Jer Jay Saxon, you know, 10 years ago because people yeah. stepped forward. And now... Ten years later, we're still here because people took time out of their day to say, hey, I love Feast of Fun. Um, I want to make sure that it's here for another 10, 20, 30 yeah. years. And uh, we're on Instagram, uh, mm -hmm. Fausto Fernos. I'm Mark Fillion. Yeah, it's with a C, right? That's for right. Cutie pie. It's the gay spelling. <laughs> M-A-R-C. Are you guys gay? Yeah. If you're, because if your name is we love you. Oh, If your name is Mark and it's spelled with a C, you're either Jewish or you're gay. And or both. A lot of times both. <laughs> Most of the times both. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> and Fausto is is really my name. I, I know people like I have, you know, I work at retail and and you know and the public eye. And yeah. For most of my life, if people are like Fausto, what kind of name is that? Oh my god, is it, is it, is that a stage name? I'm like, no, that's on my birth on my birth certificate. Do people ever bring up Faust, like Goethe's play? They do. Yeah. And, they, and they're like, oh, you're the devil. <laughs> I was like, well, the story of, you know, the story of Faust is, right? Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you know about Well, it? I had a production of Faust in my home once when I lived in a DIY space in Pilsen. And all I remember is we had a cat that lived underneath the <laughs> stage that we had in our apartment. And there was a person that was doing a, a part that was naked and they were under the stage. We forgot to tell them we had a cat. And so when they like, <laughs> they were like underneath this dark stage with this cat and like they heard the cat rustling around, they freaked out. 
Um, because the cats going. They didn't know they were in there with something else, oh, you wow. know. And they're like doing Faust. <laughs> and the devil's there. Right. <laughs> the story of Job, right? He so gets- the story of Job is man's faith in God is put to the test by God making a deal with the devil or a bet with the devil. Yeah. Uh, his his most beloved, his most pious. They're going to take everything away from him to see if he still loved God. And he still loved God, even though he gave him They tried to break his soul. Try to break, like Beyonce. (laughs) Um, The story of Faust is the opposite. They said, well, we're going to put your uh, faith in God to the test by giving you everything your heart's desire. And so the name Faust means to be lucky, Mm. which is ironic. Because he's not so lucky yeah. when he gets oh. everything he wanted. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. You, to find out more about the story of Faust, visit your local library. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Thank you, Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you, Thank you guys Saxon. so much. Oh, oh yes, oh. Jay Saxon. For mayor.com. Yeah, Saxonformayor.com. Thank you guys so much for having me again. Of Bye, course. everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.